from the banks of Dewey Lake, it's the Dewey Pod Monster. Alright, welcome back to the Dewey Pod Monster Podcast. This is your podcast about consumption. On this show, we talk about movies, we talk about beer, we talk about really whatever the hell we want. Uh, my name is John, and with me is my co-host, Sean. Uh, Sean is the authority on Michigan beer, and probably has some other title that I haven't thought up yet. I'm really disappointed you don't you don't emphasize the. What's up with that? I thought I did emphasize it. Well, you just kind of like pass it over real quick, like the the. Well, I hate authority. Ohio State. That's why. So. I don't know where where this Ohio State thing comes from. I'm not. I'm not. I don't get it. Like where them saying it comes from, or where it getting compared to that comes from. Yeah, like, I don't know why you're thinking that they're joined somehow. Because the first time you said it, like, you claimed it was, like, the Ohio State. I don't think so. It's all your fault, really. Do we have, is there any record of this? Uh, I believe there is. I'm pretty sure it's on either this show and or the Brew Detroit podcast that we were I on. I don't know anything about that. I mean, you could have edited it out of one of those, so. Why would <laughs> I do that? this week? I'm good. Long yeah. time no talk. Oh, catch up on anything over the last couple of days that we didn't talk about? I did. I had a very productive few days. Um, I finished Atlanta season three. That's all on Hulu. And mm-hmm. I started watching the third season of Barry, which is on HBO. I need to watch that. Like from the, I, I haven't, I'm, I know I'm like way behind on that, but that's one that I actually want to pick up and start watching and just haven't gotten around to. Yeah. I feel like I need to start watching it again. I feel like I don't, I remember season one and I remember season two, but the way that they start season three, I feel like I don't remember the end of season two for some reason, which it hasn't been that long. He's like a hitman in that show, right? Yeah. Bill Hader is a former like Marine or something and turned hitman, turned actor, but he still carries out hits while he's trying to do his actor thing. Um, I yeah, wa- has Henry Winkler in it. Yeah, as most people do. I watched uh, the Tony Hawk documentary, the new one, Until the Wheels Fall Off. It was on HBO. I think it debuted a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. And then I watched a documentary on Amazon. I think it was on Amazon, or maybe it was like on IMDb or something. I don't know if I even want to mention it. Just co- It's called Girl 27. It's a documentary. It's like a, the backstory of this woman that was raped at an old Hollywood party in like 1937 or something, and the trial and everything, and they interview the lady and... I want to say it was in early 2000 because she, I won't give it away. Uh, they found her and she was, they interviewed her. It was, it was interesting, but it just kind of dragged on after a while. I was like, okay, I felt like the story was more interesting than the end result the documentary came to, but it was, it was interesting, but it, it felt like it was maybe 20 minutes too long. Sounds kind of depressing. Yeah. I kind of like to watch depressing documentaries. It's kind of my thing. Well, I do too, but I usually, Rapey stuff. I, I'm okay with murdery stuff, but rapey stuff doesn't usually hold my interest. So they don't really. I mean, it's not. That's not what it's all about. But they kind of go, you know, mm-hmm. old Hollywood and the M- MGM specifically. The police like were basically owned by MGM. They MGM could do whatever they wanted. They hired sure. underage girls to be dancers in movies and just all that kind of stuff and parties where they would hire these girls that were dancers to show up and basically you know, please, not necessarily please men, but we're eye candy and arm candy for men who sometimes took it too far. Like, I'm not making excuses for it, but that's that's the gist of it. Okay. So I watched the 
they called it a documentary. I'm not sure if it actually qualifies as this. It was some countdown of the 10 scariest monsters in America. It was basically a bunch of a countdown of cryptids, which okay. kind of interesting. But the people they had that were quote unquote experts, half of them were labeled as like so-and-so content creator. I'm like, so am I an expert at this point? <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm um, the authority on Michigan craft beer, so you'd be an expert at anything. I, I guess. Only disappointment with it is that although Bigfoot was number one, no real shock there, um, it, there was no mention of the the terrifying Dewey Pod monster. It was just a bunch of cryptids that actually have like a reputation. Were they all American cryptids, or were they from around the world? They were just American, right? They were just American. It was all the... I mean, if, if you pay attention to most... There's like a couple ghost story ones, which I was like, that's not really a cryptid, that's a ghost story. But it was, you know... The Jersey Devil and Mothman and the Wendigo and you know, the, the usual, the Chupacabra, usual suspects of cryptids. What about the Nain Rouge? Which one was it? Is that one from Tennessee? No, it's Detroit. Oh, no, the, no, they didn't do that. They talked a little bit, like, they made mention of the Michigan Dogman, but they didn't really talk too much about it. That was the only one that specifically referenced Michigan, which was a little disappointing, but, you know, only so many so many cryptids in, in an hour and a half countdown, I guess. Yeah, there's only it's only the top ten. I mean, to be fair. Yeah, and then um, I also watched uh, Jackass four point five, and if you thought there was full frontal male nudity in Jackass Forever, holy shit, Jackass four point five! I swear, there's like a dick out in every single skit that they do in that one. It sounds like the new kids in the hall. Oh, is there a lot in that? That much in that? It's just I think it's the first episode, and I feel like there's maybe another like episode four or five. I know there's definitely mm-hmm. like full rear nudity you get to see kevin mcdonald's ass if you've ever been interested in what that looks like as he's like a 60 year old man or how old over however old he is uh no, but yeah good. i mean there's there's <laughs> some butts i kind of feel like if you've seen one 60 year old man's ass you've kind of seen them all yeah they're kind of a little amorphous a little bit i guess not not much not a whole lot of shape no it's just varying degrees of sag and wideness really but yeah, that's all I really caught up on. I watched a lot of this week's uh, UFC. Well, it's not, I don't know if it's an it's not a numbered event, just their match that on Saturday night, and that was frustrating because I don't know. I was talking to you a little bit about it. Did you watch it or did you uh, just kind of tune out? Yeah, I don't have ESPN Plus, so I didn't get to watch it. it having not watched, if you didn't watch it, I'm gonna ruin it because it's gonna piss you off if you do watch it. Holly Hom easily won four out of five rounds in the main event fight, and they still gave it to, uh, what's her name, Vera, I think it is, on a split decision. And it was, you know, sometimes if you start watching UFC, some of those split decisions, you're like, that's a real fucking questionable decision. This was by far the worst one that i ever seen. Not even close. But whatever, I didn't have any money riding on it, so I can't be too pissed, I guess. They had an issue with the last event, didn't they, with judging or the one that like Cormier uh, commented, commentated on. I don't know if he did this one or not, but I, I feel like the last one, there was like a really wonky decision, like the main event or there something was, was really weird. Weird thing with the uh, weigh-in at the last one, because oh, yeah. uh, that's right. Uh, what's his face? The, the champ. Yeah. Oliver was half a pound over. Um, so that was weird. And I still haven't gone back to watch this one, but I heard the thug Rose fight was that, that fight was just really boring and weird uh from top to bottom too but i haven't gone around to watching it yeah i saw that that's the one i'm thinking of that was the one i saw that seemed like the decision everybody thought that it went the other way than what the actual judge's decision was from what i heard that she basically just 
outlasted her for five rounds and there wasn't really much of a fight. It was just them kind of circling the whole time. But I didn't, again, I haven't gone back to watch that one yet. So what do I know? You know what I do know about? No, what do you know about? I know about monsters in squad form. (laughs) Squad formation monsters? Yeah. So this week we do have a topic. We're not going to just bumble around. I don't see either of us drinking a beer right now. So we might be a little more coherent by the end of this. Although I think, you're fairly coherent at the end of the last one. Yeah, maybe a little rambly, but I, I feel like it was all coherent. Well, this one could lead to rambling, too. This is a fun movie. So uh, we're talking about Monster Squad this week. Monster Squad is a 1987, I guess you could call it a kid's movie. I always thought of it as a kid's movie. Although, looking at it now, I guess I could see how it kind of gets, you know, watch the kind of in the gray between kid's movie and young adult movie, I guess. I think it's like horror light or something. I mean, it has elements of horror to it. It's but it also because of the kid, the age of the kids, it does kind of carry a a kid's vibe. It's not gory or anything. I don't. Not, I mean, a little bit actually. Now that I think of it, it's not gory. But one of the things I noted with it or noticed with it right from the the go. So, um, well, right from the go, like I kind of thought this movie had as far as the effects and kind of the feel of it. It almost gave me like a feeling of Army of Darkness, like kind of how things are shot and how some of the effects look and how some of the skeletons and stuff look right at the beginning. Now, granted, that part of the movie doesn't really last for very long, but my initial thought was, wow, why is this? This feels a lot like the effects from Army of Darkness. And part of why I was doing when I was kind of getting ready for this episode, I watched Wolfman Has Nards, which is a documentary about the movie made basically by the cast. And I listened to an interview with Frank decker the director of the movie and i guess when they were shooting this sam and ted ramey's office at universal was literally right across the hall from where frank and shane black's offices were for whoever carried this one so who knows maybe some creative input kind of blood from one side of the one side of the hall to the other yeah just to mention fred decker wrote and directed this he wrote it in conjunction with Shane Black. Fred Decker, you might know him. He's mostly known. He has directed a few movies, but he's more known for his writing. He wrote Night of the Creeps, RoboCop 3, House, and House 2. Like I said, he's known more for his writing. Shane Black, if you're not familiar, Shane Black wrote Last Boy Scout, Iron Man 3. I think he directed Iron Man 3. What he did, the did he do the second Die Hard movie? He has Christmas themes are really big in his movies. He did The Nice Guys yeah. with Ryan Gosling and... That fat guy, Russell Crowe. <laughs> uh, Frank Decker also directed Night of the Creeps and RoboCop 3, yes. and he also did work on uh, the Tales from the Crypt series for a while. He, he's definitely, he's he, if you get into like this level of horror, he's, he's definitely a name that you're probably going to know. And if you don't know Shane Black's name, I don't know if I can help you at this point. I mean, he's kind of been, he's been a, a Hollywood fixture for better or worse for shit 40 years at this point yeah probably. He's, i would say he's probably the bigger name like the more well-known name because he he at this point for sure yeah he does he's done some horror stuff but he's also done a lot of action stuff he was he was also one of the guys yeah. in the original predator movie um so well and he directed the the new one that one of the things i was listening to with uh decker is there's like a whole hour of that movie that just never got shot that was supposed to be in a director's cut they just never did it because it, they were talking like another $20 million worth of work to be able to make this director's cut. And the way they saw it, they were like, well, this movie's already bombing. It's not worth putting $20 more million into. So why don't we get into what the, the plot, the, the summary 
of what this movie's about. Yeah. So I'm not going to read the summary on this one because I don't have it in front of me, but the basic plot of this movie is that Dracula is trying to bring back his, essentially the, the Universal Monsters as his gang of cronies. Uh, there's an amulet that they're going after that controls the fate of the world, be it to either good or evil, and it kind of keeps shit in balance. However, once every hundred years, there's a chance to kind of flip the table on the amulet and turn things from good to bad. So that's what Dracula's trying to do, is get this amulet and let the bad guys go have, have their fun for presumably the next hundred years. That leads us to, I don't know if they ever say what town it is, it doesn't really matter, some small town in America where you have a group of kids who basically, they call themselves the Monster Squad, they're kind of your, I'm sure, one of the things I really like about this movie is how relatable the kids are, because I think there's, like, every, if you're watching this movie, one of these kids you can relate to to some degree or another, because there's a lot of similarities they're kids who are into comics and monsters and horror movies and and the such and they basically form a little club and they're the ones who deter who discover that this amulet's a thing and that dracula's coming to fuck shit up am i missing anything there no i think that's pretty that's pretty spot on the monsters that that form dracula's squad are obviously dracula we have frankenstein's monster wolfman the mummy and gilman uh, maybe also known as the creature from the Black Lagoon, as you said, like the universal yeah. style monsters. So, yeah, he he's coming back to bring his squad back together and wreak some havoc. Yeah, aside from the Invisible Man, this pretty much covers all the major monsters from Universal. For the record, too, going forward, because I always I know he's the monster is not Frankenstein. That that's the Doctor. I just call him Frank because it's easier for me. So if you hear me referring to someone as Frank, I'm referring to the monster from Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster? Yeah, I just call him Frank. I've never heard that before. Okay. It'll take it'll take some getting used to, but I mean, I always, if anybody calls him Frankenstein, I think of the doctor. So I'll have to keep that in mind. Yeah, and I've always known that, but for, I still, for whatever reason, I've always called him Frankenstein. It's just kind of, for whatever reason, it implanted itself in my brain and it's stuck, so... Somewhere over the last few years, because I, I do like going back and watching the old, like, uh, the 40s movies and even the Hammer movies with uh, Frankenstein and stuff in it. And I, I just start calling them Frank. It just, it, it works for me. So, yeah, I'm just giving you a hard time. I, I understand. <laughs> That's fine. I, as I would expect. I'd, I'd, like I said, I'd expect nothing else. So, this movie gets a lot of comparison to, um, so... Apparently the cast doesn't like this, but the cast isn't on this podcast, so I don't really care. This movie gets compared to the Goonies a lot, and I, I honestly, I think that's a pretty fair comparison in a lot of ways. It's almost like the Goonies for kids who are, like, just barely too old to want to watch the Goonies anymore, if that makes sense. But it's, it's a similar concept. Like, you have essentially an adventure story of kids going out and doing, you know, crazy stuff. You know, you got your, your chubby kid, your, like, leader kid, your tough kid... The other two, I they're fine, but I usually just kind of forget about them. And you got the the kid sister that are tagging along. All the kids are pretty well written for. I I really like this movie. Feels like the kids are written in a way where I don't want to say they gave them the freedom to choose their own dialogue because I think doing that for a bunch of twelve year old kids would probably take forever to shoot. It feels like the way these kids talk to each other is very natural for how kids would talk, and even for some of the things that are pretty dated, like how the bullies talk to the kids. Well, that's kind of how bullies talk. They're assholes. So hearing the things that they say, it, it all kind of fits for what's happening in the story. 
you know, the kids are all casted pretty well. The um, main kid, uh, Sean, the, the leader, essentially, he's got one of the best shirts that I've seen in a movie in a while. It just says uh, Stephen King rules, which is a great, I, I wish he would have wore it through the whole movie. You have Rudy, who is the uh, penny loafer wearing badass who might or might not have killed his parents. It's never really said for sure, but it's kind of hinted at through the movie for some reason. Is it? Yeah, there. I've, it's something that's funny. Like I, I noticed it this time. Just like there's a real brief line in passing. Like uh, you know, after like when they're first going to the treehouse and the kid sister is looking at him, and she's like, he seems scary or something like that. She makes some kind of pass. Like I heard he killed his parents or something like that. It's not really something they go deep into, but. It comes up a lot in that documentary for some reason. So maybe he killed his parents. Why not? Yeah, I'll have to go back and watch that. Watch the that scene. And yeah, I just heard about this documentary like literally today when I'm mm-hmm. I'm writing my notes out about this. I'm like, oh, uh, there's a movie and it's called Wolfman's Got Nards. Okay, well, I guess I'll have to watch that. I just didn't have time to watch it before this. Yeah, it, it's good. It's it's fun. It's about, in my opinion, maybe 20 minutes too long. Like it kind of gets to the point where it's like. All right, I get it. People love this movie. Let's let's move on here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not a bad watch. Um, I watched it on a, with ads, so that might not have helped because I, you know, every 15, 20 minutes stopping to play the same commercial over and over again. Yeah. But, you know, then aside from Rudy, you also got Horus, who is, he's the, the bigger kid that gets bullied through the eh, good chunk of the movie and then he probably has one of the most badass movies or the like best payoffs of this entire film near the end of the movie. So he's definitely redeemed pretty well. And the thing that I found interesting about Horace was that mm-hmm. the bullies call him fat kid and his friends call him fat kid. Yeah. It's like, well, that's, that's, I mean, he only says his name a couple times. I mean, do you get it? Do you get the, his redemption line, his kind of badass line mm-hmm. and the rest of the time, I mean, they do call him Horace throughout the movie when they do say his name, but that beginning opening thing, they just call him Fat Kid. It's like, oh, let's go see what Fat Kid's doing. Well, they're calling him worse than that, right? When he's introduced, but we'll, we'll get to that because that's in one of my. Uh, I got I, I put it under meh, but I'll explain that later. But yeah, you got Horace in this, and he's he's one of the more easily relatable kids too, because I think a lot of if you're watching a movie like this, there's a good chance that you probably were the outcast or the weird kid or whatever that kind of found comfort in weird stories like this and then the other three kids are all fine there's patrick eugene and phoebe and none of them really kind of stick out to me any more than kind of being there um i don't know if you feel the same with that or not i I could do without eugene i don't like i don't know he just he doesn't say any complete sentences you know he speaks in like Mm -hmm. stunted language and he's not he's definitely the youngest kid and i really he kind of just appears in the treehouse, in the clubhouse, when they're talking about, like, bringing... What, they're talking about what's happening, you know, this this yeah. plot. And he just, like, appears, but they don't ever interact with him outside of this. So it's almost like they just needed another kid to throw in there. So I don't... And I just don't like the fact that he, he doesn't speak in any kind of complete sentence throughout the entire movie. It's like, this, this, that. You know, like, that's how his sentence structure is. It's like three words most of the time. Yeah. Pretty much. And yeah, I I kind of felt that way with both him and Patrick. Like, all right, you're there, but you need to be like that. I don't really feel like they add a whole lot to the movie personally. Yeah, but, I feel like Patrick, whatever. because he's the he plays that kind of friend role. He's like the support kid. Um, but yeah, he's the I, AC Slater to the Zach Morris of the movie. 
No, that's kind of that's an insult to AC Slater. I think AC Slater's a little cooler, but he. <laughs> well, I didn't want to insult Screech. Well, hey, you know, let's not speak ill of the dead. Uh, but Patrick at least has a sister, so she plays a big role yeah. towards the end of the movie. And then opposite the kids, um, you know, there's a couple characters uh, that are non monster characters that are kind of memorable. Like uh, Sean's dad is he plays a cop in the movie, and he's kind of feels like he's just filling in like the gap between like the the two different groups of characters but he does pretty well at it you know start to finish and then you also have the guy who is not making this up he is referred to as scary german guy uh throughout the movie who turns out to be kind of like if phoebe is the hero then he's got to be like the b-plot hero i guess since he without him like dracula wins basically yeah they wouldn't know what's going on without that guy he translates van helsing's journal Mm. and he drives them around. He's like chauffeur, essentially. Yeah. And then uh, you have the monsters, which is probably what's going to be the more memorable uh, roles in this movie, uh, just because it's monsters. You got Duncan uh, Rieger playing Dracula, and he is, for a movie that's more or less a kid's movie, he's kind of terrifying as Dracula. He's straight-up sociopath throughout this movie. He calls a five-year-old kid a little bitch, which is kind of funny. But he's... Pretty maniacal uh, from start to finish. So Tom Noonan's, you know, a sympathetic monster. Like, he's he fits the role. Um, he doesn't have a whole lot of lines. He does kind of look like Bub from Day of the Dead for some reason, but whatever. That's not, that's not a negative in my book. The dude playing Wolfman is great because he's, when he's a human character, he's totally conflicted and trying to get people to lock him up or shoot him. And then when he's playing Wolfman, he's straight up crazy, and he has nards. And then you have the creature, or uh, Gilman. I always call him the creature. Gilman sounds like a Mega Man boss to me. So you have the creature who is about as intense as any version of the creature from the Lagoon that, I, that I've ever seen. Uh, I, I didn't know this till after the fact, but his suit, aside from his head, is all one piece. So once he was like glued into the suit... He was basically stuck that way for like 20 hours or so. Um, no eating, no drinking, no taking a leak, nothing. Like he was stuck in this suit for the whole day. That's one of the things that's in the documentary that's kind of entertaining to hear about. You know, last of our, our group of monsters is the mummy. And this is the one that probably, not probably, this one deviates the most from the universal look. He looks more like what... When you say like what a mummy looks like, this is a lot closer to like what you picture in your head, like just the stereotype idea of what a mummy is in a horror movie. But it works. He's kind of not really scary. He seems like the least effective of all the monsters, but he works for for what they have him doing. And in the cast of this movie, just to kind of make clear, this movie is like a who's who of oh that guy or oh that lady. You know that these these actors are recognizable if you've watched any 80s movies, basically, uh, or 90s, or, you know, even today. So we've got, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, Sean's dad is Stephen Macht, who was in Graveyard Shift, and if you see his face, you'll totally recognize him. We have, and just these are just naming a couple. We had John Grease, who plays the Wolfman pre-transformation. If you don't know who that is, you might know him as Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. We have Tom Noonan plays Frank. Uh, you might know him as Kane from RoboCop 2, my favorite role of his. Uh, 
or bad guy with an axe. I don't know what the actual official name is in Last Action Hero, but he's one of the bad guys. He has the big sickle or the big axe or whatever it is. We've got Leonard Semino, who plays a scary German guy. He's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, and the mom, um, Sean's mom. She was in Night of the Creeps, wasn't she? I think she was like the mom character in the 50s scene in the Night, Night of the Creeps, I believe. She could have been. Uh, Mar- Mary Ellen Trainer, but she's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, I. but everyone really plays up to each part well. Like, there's no point where this movie feels forced or campy. I mean, it, it might be a little campy in the sense that, that I think that might have been what they were going for at times. But it doesn't feel campy in a way like, kind of like, um, well, like Night of the Creeps. Like, it doesn't feel campy in this, like, intentional, kind of goofy, satire type horror movie. Um, it feels, the places where it's goofy, it feels like it's goofy because it's it's kind of a kid's movie. Right, it has to be a little bit goofy so that they can play the horror part up. You know, like you said, it's like a, it's a kids movie. I mean, these are all the main, besides the monsters, all the main actors are kids. So you can't, it can't be played to the hilt. It has to be a little pulled back. I, I feel like, yeah, no, and but it's it is, and but it's again similar to Goonies. Like it's pulled back, but it's still pulled back in a way that works really well for the story that they're telling. Um, it's. Like I said, for whoever doesn't want to hear that comparison, I mean, it's got a lot of the same feel from start to finish of how they're telling the story. And, you know, it's similar to, like, again, if you like a story like Stranger Things, same type of concept. Um, in fact, they uh, Decker was saying that they approached him about making a Universal Monsters show right after Stranger Things came out, and he turned it down because he said he didn't want to be the guy who ripped off the thing that was ripping them off. So what's what's the what is the connection here to the Universal Monsters? Like, I don't know the backstory of why they ha- they're using these characters or how they're able to use these characters. This isn't necessarily like a Universal movie, or are those? I mean, they're not open. Uh, they're not they're not public domain characters yeah, at public, this point. They're are public they? domain characters. Okay. They were then. So they've they've always been, as far as I know, they've always been public domain characters. So the original concept of this movie and if you, again, if you watch any of these docs, he brings this up all the time. It was like the Little Rascals meets the Universal Monsters was what they were going for. Uh, he was heavily influenced by stuff like the Groovy Ghoulies and um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and, you know, movies like that. So they intentionally set out to make a goofy movie about the Universal Monsters the reason the monsters look the way they do in this is because they approach Universal to make the movie and Universal turn them down. They couldn't stop them from using the name Dracula, Frankenstein, etc. Um, but they do have likeness rights to each of the characters. So when they got shot down by Universal, they had to essentially redesign all the characters so that you know Dracula still looks like Dracula, but not that Dracula, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's that's where the, the concept comes from, is essentially, yeah, Little Rascals meets the Universal Monsters. And really, like, it's kind of a, one, I, I look at it as like a big swing and a miss on Universal's part, because, you know, one, if they did take this movie, I'm sure that it probably would have been received better than it was when it came out, because this movie did not do well um, at all when it came out. But, you know, for a franchise that is really so iconic and so legendary in so many ways 
it's really just kind of gone dormant for shit. I don't know. Like, even though they tried rebooting it to their, like, monsters built universe, like, recently, and those are terrible. Oh, yeah, the Dark Universe. Yeah, with, like, the mummy and yeah. all that, whatever the other movies, yeah. with the Tom Cruise mummy, and there were a few others. Yeah, didn't they do a, uh, wasn't that um, Benicio Del Toro Wolfman supposed to be part of that, too? Yeah, I think you're right on that. Yep. Neither of those are good, but um, that, that franchise has been pretty dormant for a while, and I just, I feel like, you know, in a in a franchise that's got movies like, again, Abbott and Castello meet Frankenstein, or where some of the Hammer movies got, like, when you got to Dracula, I think it's Dracula 76, where, like, Dracula's chasing around hippies, and they're doing all kinds of, like, hallucinogens and shit like that. You know, some of those movies got pretty goofy to begin with, so I really feel like this would have fit into that catalog really well. And it really would have opened up a, a whole generation to going back and rediscovering all those old classics, too. Like, it would have br- breathed new life into those. But, you know, they chose not to do it, and it went to, I don't remember who got it, but it went to a different production company to make. So, you get the Universal Monsters, but they're not technically the Universal Monsters in this. They're just monsters. But I think they play up just as well as any of those old movies i don't know what do you think on that i think they do a real service to the movies actually i think Mm -hmm. talking about the monster designs you know some of them they're very on brand right dracula you cannot mistake this for anybody but dracula frankenstein tom noonan he's got to wear those big big ass platform shoes so they kind of look i thought they were blogs for a second (laughs) yeah he looks really gumpy he looks really off because just when they show him walking around like I feel like they could have done a camera trick or something to make him look... I mean, he's already playing with a bunch of little kids, so he looks tall as it is. And he's a tall guy, but he mm-hmm. just doesn't have any like real girth to him. You know, he just looks like a spindly Frankenstein. I think the best character, the best looking character out of all of them is the creature or Gilman. I think that's looking at that costume because you get a real good look at him at the end. It's an amazing mm-hmm. looking costume. I mean, it looks... It yeah. looks awesome and i think even mummy mummy looks pretty good too but you don't get to see a whole lot of them i don't there's a scene with mummy i don't understand where he shows up in eugene's closet and he's just like i don't get that either out of nowhere he just shows up in the closet how the hell did he get in this kid's closet yeah and he doesn't do anything he just stands there for you know however long until the dad comes in and then he just walks out the window like why right. are you going there at all i mean it's a funny scene i think the dad is funny it's a really funny you know representation but mm-hmm. it's it's kind of pointless it's just I think it's really to introduce Eugene, to be honest, but yeah, Yeah. I I think they did a really good job with Wolfman too, though. Like his transformations aren't, they're not like on the level of you, you know, we were talking about a few weeks back, like American werewolf in London being like the gold standard of it's, it's not that his transformations don't look painful to the point of like retching. They don't look comfortable, but they don't, they're, they're the kind of transformation. It's like, close your eyes for two seconds. Oh, he's Wolfman now. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was Stan Winston surprisingly yeah you know stan winston's doing a kids movie basically and all the effects from transformations to like mat work where they have dracula transform into a bat like via shadow Mm -hmm. where you don't really see him they're all just really well done i was really surprised you know i haven't seen this movie in quite a while probably at least 25 years if not more and it just it amazed me how well the effects looked number one practical effects for the most part and mm-hmm. number two, just with them being practical, how well they looked. I mean, it was very convincing. Yeah. But I, I think they did really, what I was going to say with the Wolfman, like when you see his first transformation, he just pops up in the back of that ambulance. It, it's not really freaky, but it's it looks really well done for that ki- kind of movie. 
But the scene where he's in the telephone booth and he's trying to warn um, Sean's dad about what's coming, that's just a really well-shot scene and a really well-executed effect through the whole the whole process. So there's a lot of things in this that I like um, as far as... I mean, without going in... I, I don't really feel like we need to go over the story too much more than what the, the high-like vision overview is, just because that's, that's kind of what it is. It's kind of an adventure story from there out. Some of the things I like seeing in it, though, like, I love seeing... Um, Rudy go through the school and just do things like stealing weapons, making bullets, and no no one cares. Like, it's perfectly okay for this kid to be just like... Smelting silver, pouring right. silver bullets. If no one looks at this and bats an eye, it's perfectly no. normal in this school. I always thought that was pretty good. And, like, I remember seeing this, like, probably like 10 years ago. I was like, there's no fucking way they would just let this kid make bullets in school. Yeah, there's a lot of things that, that, that go on in this movie... You can tell it's a product of like 1987. There's there's a lot of things that go on where mm-hmm. some of the language, like some of the stuff that, especially right at the very beginning of the movie, use some of the terms they use, you know, or talk about the bullies. Well, not even just that, you know, like when they're walking through the they so they they get called to the that mm-hmm. scene where they get called to the principal's office and the principal's like, you know, monsters aren't real, but science is, and science is cool, you know, and all that kind of stuff. My favorite line in that scene is when the principal says, "I was a kid once." I thought monsters were cool. Yeah. <laughs> and they leave the office and they're like, you know, calling everybody gay slurs and stuff as they're walking down the hall. It's like, okay. I mean, at the time, hey, man, when you're in Rome, that's, I, you know, all of us used to call each other names and things that maybe we're sure. not too proud of as ad- as adults, but we were kids and they were kids too. So, you know, but just some of it, I, I kind of look at it like that. And I, you mentioned the, the making the bullets, right. <laughs> grinding down steaks and stuff and wood shop and stealing uh bow and arrows and all this crazy stuff it, but the thing that's great about that is that it's all mm-hmm. foreshadowing it's all setting up for like the the either the ultimate or like the penultimate scene where they actually utilize these things so it's it's cool that they show those sometimes they would show that and right. it's just kind of like a plot point you know where this they, they they're showing it but it's also it becomes it becomes a plot point it is like they they're it's a necessity to fight right. the monsters that they have to fight yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so there's other stuff that's funny too. Like I I love that um Sean's dad like comes home and sees him just sitting on the roof watching a movie in a drive-in. It doesn't say something like get the hell off the roof. He just sits out there with him and gives him a cheeseburger. You can tell they're kind of commiserating sure. a little bit. Sure. With their and and I'm legs. I'm a far cry from a parent in that I'm not one, but I'm pretty sure most parents don't want their kids sitting on the roof for any reason at you know, night or ever. I don't correct me. Am I wrong there? I mean, I, I don't know. You'd have to climb a ladder to get on my roof, but you know, the kid, the kids would have to climb a ladder and I don't know if I trust them to do that, but at least in this movie, his window, it's like one of those windows where it, it goes out onto the roof. So he's not uh, It's a movie window where it's very accessible. Yeah. It's something you could easily get to. Whereas I have never lived in a house. I've only lived in one house with two floors and I have never lived in a house where a window went out to the roof. Or or had to climb a trellis for that for that matter. I, I lived in a house with two floors when I was a kid, and I always would see stuff like that in movies. And I was like, "What the hell? If I go out my window, I'm just falling. Like this isn't this isn't cool." <laughs> really, uh, I'm face down. I'm like, really on. skimped out on the uh, roofing here, mom. But um, yeah, all these montages and stuff like that, though, all this stuff happens in pretty quick succession. Like this movie has only got like an hour and twenty minute runtime, and we both preach that all the time that that is anymore a great thing like i'm fine with being in and out fairly quick it doesn't take time to like low and have 
you know, make you feel feelings for no real reason or anything like that. It's basically just trying to chug right along and, and, you know, hammer the story home in, in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. I think that the hour and 22 is, is perfectly paced. Oh yeah. There is no extra fluff. There is no like, you know, side plots that don't get wrapped Mm -hmm. up. It, It just, it just flows like you watch the whole thing. It feels like it could just be a, sh- a mini, not necessarily a mini series, but even just like a limited series on Netflix, a two episode yeah. thing, you know, 44 minutes a piece and boom, you're done. And with that, you know, while the movie is an hour and 22 minutes, what is your impression on how long of actual like in world time does this movie take place over? So don't think about it too hard. Yeah, That's one of the problems with the movie, because they tell you when they find this book that the amulet's going to, like, go off in, like, 24 hours or something like that. It kind of plays like it's about four or five days, though. Like, it seems like they go back to the school and go home and yeah, kind of make a few trips around the block, for lack of better wording. So I think it's supposed <laughs> to play out. Yes, it does. I think it's supposed to play. Actually, it, it can't play out in one day because just on the Wolfman, he gets arrested, then gets out, and then gets shot, and then comes back again. like. Several nights, so yeah. Well, he even turn, turn, transforms back into a man. Yeah, and and back into a werewolf because Dracula yeah. has him yeah, tied up. Back, so yeah, by that logic, you're through. I mean, as as far as I remember, full moons are one night, yeah, so right? You're, I mean, you're it's through not, a couple. It's not a multi night thing. This point. <laughs> so I guess that's a plot hole in it. But I know it's supposed to be within like one day, but it, it seems like they go through about a school week worth of time in the movie. I thought it was supposed to take place in a couple days, and I could see it being, I would say minimum, it would have to be three to four days. Oh, for sure. Between everything, from the start of it to the end of it, where the end comes. But, I mean, this is like one of those movies where it, it just moves so well that you don't really question that very much. You know, while you're watching it, you're kind of like, wait a second. You don't question it until you're an adult and have to think about it. Like, if, there's no way that a kid's going to think about that, which is, again, the target audience here. It doesn't feel like there's three-part story structure where you kind of build up and then you have that that quick fall off. I mean, everything moves so quick, mm. and that's a compliment. I sat and watched this on a Saturday night when I was pretty tired, but it was went so quick that I, you know, I couldn't even I couldn't even catch enough time to fall asleep. You know, it just like it totally kept my attention the whole time and just ran through the whole thing until it was over. So I I really commend it for for really moving the pace along. I still managed to fall asleep on it on Saturday night, but I, I finished it on Saturday morning without an issue. But I had several adult beverages that might have led to my falling asleep. So, And I, I didn't start until after the fight ended, so I didn't start it till like 11 o'clock, um, something like that. So some other things that are kind of random and cool in this, uh, Dracula's car in this movie, which I don't know why Dracula needs a car, but he has a car, and it's cool as hell. It's like a murdered-out ghost hearse i don't really understand why he needs this car because the only time you really see him driving in it no one but dracula is in the car like he doesn't ever have like the whole crew in the car with him which i wish there would have been a shot like that because that would have been like wallpaper paper material on a computer you know yeah get, uh, dracula le- with his gangster lean driving we got frank in the back right yeah it would be a perfect movie right. poster as opposed to the posters they ran with, which were not perfect. No, not so much. <laughs> right. But it's it's a really, really sweet looking car. And then you find out like halfway through, because you see it for like a split second right at the beginning of the movie. And then you see it again later. And it, it that's where you find out that it's a ghost car. I'm like, so I mean, he's Dracula. You can basically like 
essentially teleport. Does he even need the damn car? Or is it just because it looks cool? Yeah, he's got multiple modes of transportation. He does not need to drive a car. And he treats it like yeah. shit. It's like an awesome car. It has a skull, mm-hmm. a silver skull uh, right. hood ornament. And he pulls, when he pulls into one of the houses, he just like tears the back door off the hearse. <laughs> like, come on, dude, that's a, this is a yeah. nice car. You know, when you were talking about like the three, three acts uh, structure with this, one of the things that you see them go back to, it's almost like where they reset the story. The kids will all show up at this tree house. I really like that because I, I didn't remember this, um, them saying this the last time I watched it, but I was watching this and they always have a dog in the tree house with them. One of the two kids that I don't care about, either Patrick or Eugene. One of them's got a dog that follows him around all the time. And uh Yeah, it's Eugene. It's Eugene. Okay. I was sitting there watching him like, how the hell did the dog get in the treehouse? Like dogs can't climb trees like that. And then they do their little like moment where they all kind of put their hands in the middle of a circle and they like high five each other and kind of figure out their plan and the dog throws his paw in there and I think it's Rudy goes, Hey, how the hell does a dog get up in this treehouse anyway? I'm like yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Someone actually called that out because I was wondering the same thing. So I, I like that little moment of, you know, again, as a kid, you would never question that. You would never look at that and be like, Why, how did a dog climb? I mean, this treehouse is like a, a freaking mansion for, uh, of treehouses. It's, and it's easily, you know, in the tallest oak in the, this neighborhood or something like that. So there's no way that a dog's getting up there. So that, that line really worked for me. The runtime being short is good too. Again, the, the way this movie flows from act to act with it, you have your act where the, your first act is basically just them kind of introing and telling you what's going to happen in the movie. Your second act is pretty short. It's the montage of them kind of getting ready to go fight the monsters. And that's also where you find out that, you know, Frank has a heart and um, he kind of gets wooed. Like he, you, that's a kind of a big plot point we haven't brought up yet. So it turns out that Frankenstein doesn't really want to go along with uh, Dracula's plan to be the bad guys forever. He thinks that, you know, hurting people sucks. And so he, the, the little sister finds him like down by the pond and he befriends her and she, you know, gets to be part of the guy, the boys club now because she brought Frankenstein with her. And to mention he is sent to kill her. I mean, essentially Frank's job is to go kill this little girl. And he's like, no, I'm good. Yeah. She kind of, it plays nice to him and, and they become fast friends. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of, I guess, a cute scene. It's also kind of like, would have been okay if he just like ate or two. That would have been funny. So, But then we wouldn't have the end of the movie that we have. So that happens in the middle of the movie in the second act. And, and you get your montage of how they're essentially gearing up to go fight these monsters. And then basically once Dracula goes out in his murder mobile, it's just like the end of the movie's on from there. In a span of like... Four minutes of movie time, we watch him blow up a cop car, blow up a treehouse, uh, stick a stick of dynamite in a cop's pants or something like that. <laughs> something crazy. Oh no, is that Wolfman that gets dynamite in the pants? He gets exploded and 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 right. You know, all of his limbs. He pulls and a T one thousand. Everything like, gets sent in yeah, every he, direction. He pulls a T one thousand several yeah. years before we had a T one thousand. Yeah, he pulls himself back together because he can't be. They they definitely define that he cannot be killed with anything but a silver yeah, bullet, which is actually a pretty entertaining like process to explore with it. Like it, it goes a little overboard with it, but it's fine. Once uh, Dracula basically starts going nuts and starts like offing people, that's where we also see the kids start launching their counterattack. And uh, I know we talked about this beforehand. Uh, why don't you explain the scene that's coming up here when they go into the house? Because I know this has your line that is just so well represented in this movie. Yeah, so they have Frank and they're trying to infiltrate 
Dracula's house that he's living in, which it's like 666-something lane. You know, it's this abandoned mansion. And Dracula has basically found this amulet for Van Helsing's amulet. And they get in the house, and Dracula explodes this wall in the basement, and the house, you know, part of the house comes tumbling down. And then all the monsters start coming. Dracula's brides start coming. Wolfman's there. We've got Dracula coming up the stairs, and the kids are trying to figure out how they how they're going to get out of this. Horace and Sean are having the discussion, and and Sean just says, "Kick him in the nards." And Horace says, "Wolfman doesn't have nards." He says, "Just kick him in the nards." So he gives him a nice swift kick between the legs, and we get the titular. Well, I guess it's not titular, but it is for this documentary. It's iconic. Wolfman has nards. Yeah, because Wolfman goes down like a ton of bricks. You know, I guess. Silver bullets and kicks to the nards are what you need to do to to uh, neutralize a wolf. I mean, man. at least slows them down. Yeah, and it is. It's kind of one of those lines that's become like almost overkill with this movie. Like it's like, okay, there's the line. Let's go on. But the first time you hear it, it it's it's pretty damn great. Yeah, it's almost kind of gotten bigger than the movie oh, itself. Absolutely. You know, the movie's pretty much known. If you say that line around anybody and they've seen this movie, they know exactly yeah, what you're talking absolutely. about. I think a lot of people who haven't seen this movie even like will recognize that. Yeah, maybe at this point. Yeah, sure. So after we get out of that house or where wherever the, the hideout for Dracula, um, this is probably my favorite scene with Rudy because this is when he goes after his like uh, vampire chicks in the middle of the street, right? Yeah, that's they're the first offensive into the. Into the final battle. Yeah, so basically, um, Rudy says something along the lines of, like, I'm, I bet I'm in your damn monster squad now, and essentially just goes out and straight up murders three women in the middle of the street. <laughs> Single-handedly. Yeah. Without too much of a problem. You get to see them kind of comically off the mummy in a way that totally makes sense, and I, I don't remember if that's how you... The Mummy was never my favorite property of the the Universal Monsters. I I usually ignore it, to be honest, so I don't really remember if that's how you kill them or not, but it works really well for this movie, and it definitely works for, like, a kid's theme movie, um, how they get rid of him. Uh, What they end up doing is they're essentially, you know, the Mummy chases them and kind of, they're on the back of, like, a a military jeep or something like that, some kind of open bed, uh, all-terrain vehicle. Yeah, it's almost like a Volkswagen thing or something, you know? Essentially, what they do is there's a like a thread of his wrappings that he's been kind of dragging around, and they they show it pretty clear. Like every time they show him like limping through town in this movie, he's always got this like I don't know four foot like trail of bandages coming off of him. Uh, so Rudy basically just ties it to an arrow, and as they're driving, he has an impossibly aimed shot of. Uh, <laughs> shooting this arrow into like a telephone pole or something like that and hitting it with enough force that it's not only going to stick, but stick while a vehicle is driving at at least 50 miles an hour, if not more, in the opposite direction. So it's a little unbelievable now that I'm talking it out. <laughs> um, but basically what it does, is it just starts unwrapping the mummy from the foot down, like straight up through his body, and he's essentially reduced to just a skull and kind of useless. Again, I never really like of all the the monsters that they do well in this movie. He's the only one that I'm like. There's really no real intimidation with him. The brides of Dracula were more intimidating to me just because they look kind of freaky and creepy and whatnot when they're all walking up the street. I didn't really get that with the mummy. Like he, he's just kind of there, but um, it's a well done effect and it looks really good for this this type of movie. 
I think the most unceremonious monster kill is for the creature, Gilman. He just gets blasted with a shotgun. Like, he's kind of imposing a little bit, but he just gets blasted, and then, you know, I guess yeah, he's dead. Yeah, but that's got the best payoff at the same time. That's where Horace has his... Yeah, I mean, there's no special... Yeah, that's where Horace has his big, my name is Horace, <laughs> while racking yeah. a shotgun. <laughs> it's kind of disappointing in a way that he does go out that easily, because he's actually fairly intense in that scene up until that part like he pops out of the sewer hole and like crushes a dude's head like you know no problem (laughs) and then (laughs) he starts like going after another guy right after that doesn't he just like chuck him and then go after horace and they're the the bullies in the they're in the store that horace is trying to get into and he decides like hey i gotta make my stand Mm -hmm. here and and also to mention one of the bullies ej is jason hervey he's wayne from the wonder years and now i think he does like some wwe like writing Mm -hmm. or something but it was it's nice to see him kind of his role is always such an an asshole bully that he just like totally fits that so it's kind of nice to see nothing happens to him but he just kind of gets his comeuppance and or Horace gets his comeuppance and he gets to see, you know, EJ gets to see that he's a badass. So that was kind of redeeming, especially as a right. kid. No, I, I, I can agree with that. It's, it's, I feel like it's more redeeming as an adult than even as a kid, just because I like seeing kids be like put in their place. It's kind <laughs> of satisfying in a way. So at this point, uh, we have gotten rid of some Dracula brides. We've gotten rid of the mummy. Uh, the Wolfman is, oh yeah. So what happens with the Wolfman? It's actually a pretty entertaining scene so the cops show up and they're trying to take care of the wolf man and he's basically kicking their ass um without too much of a problem and what they do with them is yeah another stick of, of dynamite appears and that's where they they shove the stick dynamite in Wolfman's pants and like ninja kick him out a window or something i don't remember yeah it's sean's dad takes yeah. care of him because they're in a fight in the in like a book warehouse or yeah, something so he gets blown to pieces and, and like I said, does a T-1000 thing, gets put back together. And that's pretty, like, pretty much right after that is when Rudy, like, blows him away with the silver bullet, isn't it? Yeah. And I one thing about the silver bullet, like, how does that even propel itself? Because when he makes it, I mean, again, nitpicking, mm-hmm. right? He's making a full casing. It's like the full bullet. There's no gunpowder yeah. in this bullet. It just, he shoots it out of a regular gun. I mean, it's, again, nitpicking. I don't remember seeing where he like, got, eh, oh, no, he took the gun from uh, a dead cop. Right. A police officer. Yeah, and he yeah. empties the all the all the bullets from the revolver mm-hmm. and puts this one single solitary silver bullet in there and takes out the Wolfman that way. Yeah, and it's pretty satisfying. The Wolfman's got a little, you know, touching goodbye where he tells him thank you for shooting him, which is kind of fucked up, but... You know, works. Yeah, works bit. for the movie. <laughs> it's Sean that kills Dracula, isn't it? The scary German guy is helping Phoebe, the little, uh, the little sister, recite the words from the from Helsing's manual or his book or whatnot. So the whole plot point with the the book of Van Helsing is that these words, for whatever reason, have to be read by a virgin. Um, so yeah. they get I don't remember they get someone's sister. I don't remember which one of their older sister. Patrick's Patrick. They get Patrick's sister to try and recite it. They're trying to blackmail her. They're basically blackmailing a, a high schooler saying, Hey, you know, we're gonna uh we're gonna what is oh, we're gonna blackmail you over your virginity, put a picture of you or whatever between you know, in the school bulletin board between the football team and the I don't know, the play tr- tryouts or whatever it is, and she decides to go along with it. Well they have her read the entire passage 
And, she, you know, she took German in high school or she's taking German in high school, so they say. So she reads the thing with the help of the scary German guy, but it doesn't work because she's not a virgin uh, and she didn't want to come clean and tell him. So they get Phoebe to do it because she's five years old and hopefully and thankfully a virgin. Uh, and that's Eugene's whole, I don't even want to repeat his line because the way that he says it is just so, it's, it's like the thing, cringy. you know, there's scenes or lines in movies that stick in your head and you just like hate them. That's, I, I absolutely hate the way that he says this line in this movie. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it, but they reveal that, you know, Phoebe's a virgin. And so she starts reading the passage. And I think while they're reading it, Dracula comes and tries to, he's able to come to her and he's holding her up in his hand, like about to kill her. And Frankenstein comes from behind and tosses him and he lands on a, like a iron wrought fence post, basically like it impales him on it. Yeah. And that's when one of them comes over and stakes him in the heart. I believe, you know, I just saw this movie two days ago and I don't remember if that happens or not, but he's definitely staked and they finish the passage. The portal opens, the The amulet gets thrown, the portal opens. The portal is very, very Evil Dead 2 slash Army of Dark. It's like the same portal (laughs) that pulls Ash to the Middle Ages. Like, yeah, exact same effect, which I, I appreciate. So, so yeah. Once the portal opens, basically you're left then with Frank still there, and this is where you get the part where, you know, depending on who you ask, like, they, I hear a bunch of people say this part makes him cry, I'm like, still a fucking monster, he's gotta go back. I don't know about that. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I think it was touching a little bit. This time when I watched it, I was like, okay, it's the end of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's over. Exactly. Um, But yeah, it's, it's a touching suite, all that crap. Uh, moment you know he essentially what you see is he gets to say goodbye to Phoebe and she gives him her little stuffed dog toy that she's been going around and the last scene is him kind of spiraling through this portal with holding a little stuffed dog or the last scene of that and then really after that like the only thing you see I, isn't it like the army shows up or something and they're like who are you they're like, we're the monster yeah, squad because Eugene sent a yeah where's no he's yeah where's Eugene because Eugene they have a scene where Eugene's scrawling out this note to the so something like to your send army, all men, the army you know, guys are, yeah, <laughs> yeah, monsters are here. Send help, right? And these, of course, when everything's over, all the army guys, the tank, the you know armor, the whole, like, rolling armor comes in. Like, yeah, where's Eugene? We're the monster squad. And then they play probably the absolute. I'm a master rapper and I'm here to say that I love Fruity Pebbles in a major way. Bullshit, like 80s white guy rapping who has no idea what rap is, Monster Squad rap, which will include after our original, you know, our our normal Finnish music. But it's, this is just like painfully describing the entire plot of the Monster Squad movie with, I think, like the music coordinator or something for the movie. The two songs that are in this name's movie like Bert, are like... His name's Bert something, because I, I looked it up trying to get the um, stuff for social media started on this episode, and it's not loading in where I, I need it to load in, but it, his name's... I, I pulled it up the other day, because I was like, oh, this song... I forgot how fucking horrible this song is, and that's still a thing yeah. that happens in movies to this day, where you just have this yeah. horrible like attempt at like child-friendly hip-hop song that is... The same beat that's recycled for (laughs) 
anywhere from like four the to entire four minutes four to like the entire runtime of the credits or some shit um yeah this i can't emphasize this enough the music on this is like if you remember answering machines this is quality circa you know 1987 you could listen to this music and think it came from an answering machine tape that would play before you left your message, you know, basically your voicemail. <laughs> this is like a Radio Shack, you know, awful music cassette tape. It was just, they're the worst songs. They're, I don't know, but it's laughably bad. It's like so bad it's good almost. It's almost wrapped around. You know what's funny is, especially now that you're saying it, I, I remember the little like rap ditty at the end because it's it's so bad that... <laughs> I think rap diddy is appropriate. It's appropriate. Well, I can't. I don't. I don't know what else to call it because it's not like it's so bad. It overshadows everything else that I don't really remember the other musical cues right now in in the movie. And I, I at the end of this movie, after the credits roll, there are only two songs credited in this entire movie. And one and, is during the montage, yeah. the and the rap at the end, the Monster Squad rap. Yeah, oh, that fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> Um, maybe we'll put it instead of the the normal music we finish out on. I think that'll be a good. I think we should lead out. I think on. we should lead out with the monster rap and then finish with the normal lead out song. So aside from the things we've already mentioned, uh, has, is there anything that you disliked in this movie? No, I mean just other than the nitpicking stuff. You know, some of the language is kind of it's a little blue. Uh, I, I I don't know if it could be kind of used today in that same kind of language. The one thing I I wonder. Like, I don't have anything really bad to say. Like I said, I feel like the, it moves really well. Mm. It's really well paced. Some of the language is a little off. Some of the kind of technicalities on, you know, like the how many days this is supposed to take place over the silver bullet kind of thing. The one question that I have and that I had watching this, like I enjoyed this because I it's a little bit of nostalgia because I saw it, you know, probably around 88 or so, 89 on VHS. Uh, so, so it captured my attention and I still thought, you know, I still felt the same way about it now as I did then, but I kind of thought to myself, would a 10 to a 14 year old today, would they still be into a movie like this? Could you make a movie like this and, and expect kids to go see it? I don't really see as much kids entertainment that's live action. It seems like most kid entertainment, if it's like this, it's on, you know, it's on Disney plus yeah. or it's on Netflix. It doesn't really make it to theaters. And I just wonder if a movie like this could get wide release that's made like this, you know, made like this movie is could, would kids today relate to it? I was, and uh, I also thought it was kind of interesting that they, they can't keep track of any, where any kids are because there's no cell phones. Right. So it's <laughs> kind of seemed like, you know, the kids just left and they were gone. Like nobody knew the parents didn't know where these kids were. And you know, that's just kind of a sign of the times, I guess. Right. I was going to compare it like to a modern kids movie. That's kind of like this to like hotel Transylvania, but that's animated. So if mm -hmm. you want to keep it as live action, you know, I bet you can make it in a way that kids would still like enjoy it. But I, if I had to take a guess, it probably wouldn't happen because I don't imagine that a studio would want to pay for it when they could just animate it or something like that and make it cuter and softer and all that type of stuff. I wonder if Dracula, the mummy, Frankenstein's monster, Gilman, Wolfman carry as much cachet today as, as they did, uh, you know. 25 35 years ago i bet dracula does um i don't know about the rest of them yeah maybe but because of hotel transylvania or something like that yeah but i mean also look how i mean it's not dracula but as bad as the movie was twilight was a pretty big success and it seems like every 
three to five years, there's some vampire movie that comes out and really does a good job or does really well in, you know, box office numbers and all that crap. So it seems like for better or worse, vampires still have selling power. I would love to see some of the other properties do like, I would love to see a creature from the black lagoon movie like today. Well, not directed by, uh, Guomero fucking Hellboy guy. Um, Del Toro. Um, yeah, Guillermo Del Toro. Yeah, I, I get it. He's great, but he's kind of he's starting to get to like, all right, you're just like steampunk Tim Burton now. Please stop. I thought you would like that comparison. <laughs> well, now we have Doug Jones. Doug Jones could be the could be creature, like the shape of water. So he he does a pretty good job in that role. I actually never saw that movie. I didn't really have a lot of desire to see it. So. Well, they have that fish guy in Hellboy too, which I don't remember what his uh, Abe Sapien, yeah. Um, but I I would love to see you know we've talked before. I'd love to see a new take on the Wolfman that's actually well done. But again, it seems like whenever a Wolfman movie comes out, there I don't think there's been a really good one since like eighties, early nineties, something like that. And they seem to always need to play him in that Victorian kind of era. You know, like you said, almost even steampunk sometimes. Right. It's like, I'd like to see it in a normal, modern context. Yeah, and I'd like to see it not be, well, I don't know. That that one probably be the most challenging, but I feel like if they get it right, it might be the most rewarding, too. Before I go on the rating, the only thing I would say that, I, I don't know if I would put this in a dislike as much as a, a meh category, it's just the language and stuff like there. I'm really on the fence with how I feel about it because there's a lot of stuff that's said in this movie. That's just, they're really just words that are not words that are politically correct by today's standards. Um, yeah, is really like yeah, putting it nicely. On the other hand, you know, most of the things that are really shitty that they're saying is uh, the worst things in this movie that are said are said by people who are the assholes in the movie it's said by the bullies. It said, you know, it's really, it's how kids talk to other kids, whether it's correct or not. That's kind of what happens. So yeah. I'm I'm not against a movie that, you know, wh- where it's weird is this isn't a movie that's supposed to be trying to hammer home a point like that. Like, it's not trying to make you, you know, oh, let's think about the context of how these kids are responding to these, you know, insults. Which, you know, if this was a, a art house film that was trying to get some kind of point across about that, it, it probably could still fly. That's that's not what this is. This is a movie with a, a kid kicking a werewolf in the dick. Yeah. <laughs> this is not an A24 film, yeah. so that we're clear. Right. So, thank God. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see the A24 version of, of Monster Squad. That would be weird. So, yeah, watching this again, that was one thing that, I mean, and again, some of the stuff is within the first, like, five minutes of the movie. So, it's pretty immediate that you're noticing this stuff. It does kind of take you out of it for, like, a split, like, maybe a minute or two. You're like, God, they actually say it. My first reaction was I look at it, I'm like, what the fuck is this movie rated again? <laughs> like, actually, to pull it back up and find out, I was like, I thought this was a PG movie. And it's not. It's PG-13. So, it's a little worse, I guess. But, I mean... It's it's kind of a mix of like, well, this is a movie that's like 30 years old and, you know, it, it's really how it's realistic and how it's being portrayed. So on the one hand, it uh, that's why I say I'm kind of meh on it. it. It's it's not right that they're saying this to these kids or calling these kids these things. On the other hand, it's kind of what kids do because kids are little shits. Yeah, kids are assholes. So it's kind of it kind of is par for the course. Yeah. As far as rating on this, I would probably give this probably seven and a half hot dogs out of you know, 10 Wolfman nards. Yeah. I would probably give it a seven. Yeah. Seven, seven hot dogs out of 
10 Frankenstein bolts or something. It, it's not, it wouldn't get my highest recommendation, but I feel like you have to be, I don't know. I don't know if I, if my kids would enjoy it. You know, I didn't sit down and watch this with my kids and I don't know if they'd enjoy it. They're not really into the whole kind of horror, mm-hmm. even horror light or monster movies or anything like that. So it's hard to say, but um, I think for somebody that kind of grew up in the era, I think, you know, your age, my age, maybe a few years younger and definitely older would probably still get it if it was a movie that they kind of even remembered or were just kind of interested in watching it. I think you'd have to go into it. If you weren't familiar with the subject matter, you'd have to kind of go into it with an open mind. But I'm not really sure if, if a younger audience would kind of give it the same the same rating as we would. I got a buddy who I remember when they started bringing back the Muppet movies, he was like thrilled because he was going to take his kid to go see the the Muppets. And, you know, he loved him as a kid growing up and got tickets for opening night, took them, you know, did the whole pop, all that shit. And his kid couldn't give two shits less about the Muppets. And he was just like heartbroken about it. And this movie to me totally yeah. feels like the kind of movie I, if I had a kid that was probably like, I'd probably be comfortable showing a kid that, you know, depending on the kid somewhere like around eight to 10, you know, assuming they're like smart enough kid to realize it's a movie. It's okay. Which I think most kids are. Um, I could see myself being like, Oh, I'm going to show my kid this and he's going to, you know, love it. And it's going to open the doors to all kinds of, you know, you can watch army of darkness. And he's probably going to be like, this is fucking stupid. You know? Yeah. What did I just watch? This is garbage. Right. <laughs> I can't, I'm going to go back to watching YouTube clips of, you know, someone else playing a video game or something. That's kind of what I would expect to happen, but I, I do think that this movie does have it. Like I said, there's the biggest thing it has going for it is that the the characters, uh, the human characters are are all so relatable, and I think there's so much of like I think that kind of transcends generations. Is you're always going to have kids that are picked on, you're always going to have kids that are weird, you're always going to have kids that feel like they don't fit in, and this movie's kind of got a character built into the main cast for most of those kind of kids. I'm sure if they remade it today, you would have a very, you know, there'd be a lot of uh, a lot more inclusion in the cast. Like you'd see not just a group of white kids running around, to say the least. But I don't think that would take away from the movie in any way if they did that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, like I say, this is an all around enjoyable movie. And I, I really don't have anything too bad that I can say about it, really. Yeah, my only thing, again, is kind of nitpicking some of the technical things, loop the the plot holes and whatnot. And like you said, some of the language is kind of a little questionable now. But, you know, like you said, it's kids talking to kids. So it it fits the time frame. I mean, at that age, that's how I talk to my friend. So, uh, you know, look what look how I turned out. Right. Yeah. I, and I've always said, too, like, you know, you always say the worst things you're going to say when you're around a group of friends. People don't want to admit that. But that's the truth. You say some really stupid shit when you're with your friends. So, yeah, you know, for sure. This movie kind of shows that. So. Take that for what it's worth. But yeah, this is a fun one. Like I said, this would definitely go on our recommend list. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, check it out. Uh, this is one that is not readily available at the moment. I know it kind of comes and goes from some of the streaming platforms, but right now it's basically a one that you have to either purchase or seek out through other means, whatever you want to do. But if you have it, if you can find it, um, it's it's worth your time. It's worth showing. Show your kids. Tell us how much your kids hate it. <laughs> 
So <laughs> you got anything to add before we wrap up here? No, I think you said it well. All right. Well, then we're going to take off for the week. In the meantime, make sure to follow us on all the socials. We are at Dewey Pod Monster. You can always like and review the podcast on any uh, anywhere that you subscribe to this, be it iTunes, Spotify. Uh, if you go to our website, which is anchor.fm slash Monster, you can also leave us a message, and we would greatly appreciate your feedback, and we can share it on the show. Uh, Sean, what do you got going on? Uh, not much. This Well, by the time this goes up, I'll already have my Michigan Mandatory Brewery video for Ascension that we did. Uh, you can find me in my videos. I talk mostly about Michigan beer, but you can find me at youtube.drafttherapy.com on all social networks at Draft Therapy. So that's where you can find me, and that's what I'll be up to twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, drinking beer for you, making sure it's good enough for you. Well, thank God someone's doing it. <laughs> that's right. It's a dirty job. Somebody's got to do it. It's only dirty after like the third or fourth beer when you start missing the, you know, beer hole. So. <laughs> I don't know how to take that, but I'll I'll leave it at that. All right. All right, guys. You have yourself a great week. We'll be back at you soon. We're the Monster Squad. I am, like I said, I'm struggling here. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that Scattered. happens sometimes. Yeah, he gets, because, yeah, because he gets... It's like the tagline <laughs> for... I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. It's the tagline for the whole damn movie, basically. <laughs>